Hi, my name is Quanice Floyd. And I'm Peter Dayton. Welcome to the Embrace Podcast. A program of the Embrace series, which is a partnership between arts education in Maryland schools and the Maryland State Department of Education Fine Arts Office. This podcast will examine the human side of arts education and is an opportunity to highlight arts educators from around the state of Maryland. During each episode, we will interview an arts educator to talk about their journey. Each interviewee will be facilitating a workshop as a part of the Embrace series. Today, I'm joined by Alicia Lee. She is the coordinator of fine arts for the State Department of Education and the mastermind of the Embrace series. So we're just going to have a conversation about this experience as well as get to know Alicia a little bit better as an artist. So thank you so much for joining me today, Alicia. Oh, thank you, Peter. I think that's the first time I've been called a mastermind. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the first time I ever got to see you was before we had formally met. It was actually the Arts Lab 2018. And that's where you presented, you were the keynote um, and, and presented Sister Cities Choirs. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It was amazing. It was such a powerful experience and such a wonderful experience to see the way in which you were uplifting so many voices and lives. So that might be a good way to talk about some of your artistic activities. Absolutely. Yeah. The work that I do through Sister Cities Girl Choir is some of my favorite time that I spend on earth. (laughs) We have an incredible community of women that support young girls and adolescent girls as leaders and as artists and change makers. And our program is inspired by El Sistema, which is a music program in Venezuela. It's also inspired by the research of the girl effect, you know, this idea that investing in adolescent girls creates transformational change for communities. It's also based on my own experiences as a young person, the impact that my cohort of vocal musicians had on me as a young person reverberates through almost everything that I do. And my musical community was everything to me as a teenager. And I know the power of of a community that's just built upon creativity and connection. And so I wanted to make sure other kids had that opportunity too. We have three cities. We have choirs here in Baltimore. I moved back to Baltimore following the uprising of Freddie Gray. While that was happening, I was living in Philadelphia, which is our second sister city, and working in Camden, New Jersey as well. (laughs) So that's our third. And I knew that a solution to help the next generation of folks is not necessarily the music instruction. I, I don't really believe that the music instruction itself breeds connection. But what I do know is that struggle and toil and success bring people together, especially when we do it together. And so that's why I believe so strongly in choir. So I moved back to Maryland pretty quickly after that and bought a house in Hamilton and um, started working with some schools in my community. And also, of course, going back and forth to Philadelphia which I still do. I'm the artistic director. I conduct one choir. For years, I conducted, I don't know, five or six days a week. Um, But now I conduct one of our choirs. I mean, those are kids who have been with our program since it started. So some of them I've known for, you know, eight years. Some of their sisters, uh, little sisters are in the choir. And when I met them, they were embryos, you know. (laughs) So, um, but we have an incredible team of teaching artists in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And just recently, I actually got some funding to 
launch community-wide programs instead of school-based programs here in Baltimore. So that work continues and it continues to grow. And some of just my favorite time spent, you know, making music with young women who have so much to say and teach me so much and are, are so just excited to see an example of young women coming together. You know, like half of every teenage drama is about fighting with a girl, uh, usually not a boy. <laughs> so Girls don't see that. They don't see themselves reflected in these like strong, powerful relationships that are healthy and that are thriving and that allow for individuality. And so we're proud to be that kind of symbol for other young women as well. Absolutely. Could you talk more about the experience of, as you said, knowing some of your choir participants since they were embryos? And really, that is sort of both something that classroom teachers get to see in some ways, but also not because usually teachers have a certain age range. Actually, that had a lot to do with why I left the music classroom. I wanted to have um, an experience that more mirrored the experience I had as a young person, which meant really to kind of to have a girl or a person really be able to just have this consistent figure, this consistent presence in their life really from as young as, you know, like seeing your older sister in a Sister Cities choir and knowing all the songs at three, right? And then joining when you're six years old and finally old enough to join and then graduating from high school. That was the kind of educational experience I wanted to be a part of, was one that was just much more centered in community and also student-centered, family-centered, and where I could also make decisions (laughs) about how radical we could be with being child-centered. So, And in terms of engagement with the same people, could we say continuity of learning? There we go. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Continuity of learning. That's right. So it's funny because continuity of learning for arts folks, you know, the arts teacher in your building, they know all the families. The music teacher knows every mom's name. You know, they come to the concerts. Their kid's been in band for three years. Like, you know, our arts teachers know kids over a span of time. That's part of what it means to be a, an art teacher or a music teacher or a dance teacher is to know kids over a span. And so continuity of learning and returning back, recovery, arts teachers, we're going to see really are going to be very helpful to all of our colleagues in education in terms of helping families and students transition to whatever is next. Yes, absolutely. You've referenced several times your own experiences growing up a little bit, but I'd love to dive deeper into that. How did music first enter your life and how did you become an artist? I always loved to sing, especially as a young girl. My dad was a singer. He was in a like an all-male vocal group that toured a lot when he was a high school student and his early college years. Um, They were called Liquid Love. (laughs) (laughs) And um, they wore pink suits with big uh, big lapels. And um, and they, you know, toured regionally. And my dad always loved to sing. And we would sing together a lot, make music in the house a lot. And I always loved singing, but I, I didn't sing at school. I was very shy about that. I was not a shy person, but I was shy about my singing. To me, singing was something that I did. I only did it in these like entirely safe and brave spaces, which was my house, right? And so I didn't have the courage to sing outside of my home until I went to middle school. And um, in middle school, I had an opportunity to meet a group of people and be in a play and kind of build community. And I was like, this is what I've been waiting for. This this very thing is like to build relationship with people and then to allow those relationships to leverage that 
to explore my own artistic capabilities. And so I found that right at the end of middle school, I applied to Carver Center for Arts and Technology, which is a performing arts high school in Baltimore County Public Schools. And I was a voice major there and just fell in love with the entire experience, like what it means to be an artist, which to me means to live a life that's deeply reflectful, which is an incredible experience and choice. And the community that you embrace when you become an artist. And then, of course, the work itself. So I just fell in love with all of those pieces. And, you know, that's how I became an artist. Which then maybe leads into something that I usually lead with. And I think you began to get to that point. But how would you describe your art itself? I described you as a musician. We talked about you leading choirs. I'm sure that your definition is probably going to have something more rich than just those mechanics. Well, I'm so glad you asked that because years ago, I would have described myself as a singer. That's my training. I went to Pilates, got my master's in voice performance, and I was a voice major in high school as well. So I would have normally just said that years ago, but I slowly began to remember some of the learning that you learn. Sometimes you forget what you already know. <laughs> and so I slowly began to learn that like so much of my community arts experience, so um, my experience out of school time, really didn't engage me as a singer and engaged me as a person with a singing talent. And so I was conducting choirs. I was composing songs. I just wasn't remembering that I did all of those things. And so lately in the past eight years, also being a music educator forces you to put on lots of different hats, yes. of course, right? Because the core artistic processes require you to guide children and facilitate creating and responding and connecting and performing, of course. But I would also say community art spaces require a whole nother layer of that. <laughs> um, there's not the supportive network of an educational system. And so for me, I look at my artistic practice now and I think of myself as Alicia, a musician, which means, of course, my primary instrument is singing, but I've become much more interested in addition to singing and composing than I ever have been. And I've also, of course, loved conducting and continue to refine my conducting practice. I like to conduct instrumental ensembles as well. I also like curating. I used to be the artistic director of a chamber ensemble. And I loved, we would, you know, there was like a core group of us who would program all of the concerts. And I loved doing all that research and writing program notes and also putting together programs that were built on big ideas. I think it's fascinating to really think about what was the composer trying to explore, what ideas, and then to make connections with, are we still exploring those ideas and how have they shifted? That's what to me also draws me to classical music so strongly is just draws me to think about, wow, you know, 500 years ago, 400 years ago, 300 years ago, people were thinking about the very same things I'm thinking about. We've always been thinking about loss. We've always been thinking about love. We've always been thinking about nature and our place in it. And it's exciting to kind of dive in and hear different people explore that so deeply. I love as an answer to the question of how do you describe your art, that the answer is, I'm Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great, it's, it's the best workaround possible because it's true as it gets to the heart of something that I've been uh, exploring in in other avenues as well about the extent to which Nothing is in a vacuum and artists especially do not exist in a vacuum. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about some of your educational experiences. Can you pinpoint either a teacher or an experience during your K-12 
time that really might capture some of the essence of that change for you from not feeling like you could fully give yourself to this in public? Sure. Um, I have to say every teacher at Carver Center. <laughs> Mary Carey was our principal, who's also a former MSD leader. And Mary Carey was not an artist, but she believed in the power of the arts. She was an English teacher who integrated the arts in her work and saw the power of the arts communities in schools. And she, on her own, with her own idea, came up with the idea before there were all these performing arts schools everywhere. Carver was the first one in the county. And because of her leadership, people were willing to take a risk on a kind of crazy idea, which was to build an art school in the middle of Baltimore suburbs. That seemed weird at the time. And it happened. And the community that's there and continues to be there, because I do go back and visit, is just so rooted in what I would say radical pureness. I never felt like I was a child when I got to school. Our teachers treated us like peers in terms of what they expected from us and what we then in turn expected of ourselves. And we rose to the occasion every time. And of course, this centering in the creative process and all the joys that could come out of a life of creativity. Most of the folks that graduate from Carver do not stay professionally connected to the arts But you better believe like they are all better people in whatever realm they're working at because they have learned about collaboration. Of course, they're smart as a whip because artists are brilliant folks who continually work at the very top of Bloom's taxonomy, right? And so they're smart as whips, they're collaborative, they know how to communicate, they're empathetic. And so all of my teachers there, if I say any of their names, then the rest of them will call me on the phone and say, why didn't you say me? Um, (laughs) So every single one of them, I just don't have a single teacher there that I didn't just love, which to be honest, when I went to undergrad, my first year of undergrad was so hard because there were teachers out here I didn't love and I didn't understand what that was. I was like, what is this? Like, <laughs> what, is, what is this where you can have a teacher where you're not just like madly in love with them and just think the world of them? That doesn't happen everywhere. So college, my first year was very difficult. I just didn't understand like some people are just there and teaching the best they can or whatever. <laughs> it's like, you don't feel like this is your life calling? Like this is the best thing you ever did in your whole life or show up today and teach a group of ninth graders? <laughs> um, but that's how my teachers felt. Every day they made us feel like we we were so important to them. And and so uh, that kind of like excitement can't be faked, right? These are people who believe so strongly in the power of education and in the creative process and who lived it and embodied it. And then they shared their life and their process with us. And so we were all the better for it. It's just wonderful. Since we are wrapping up the Embrace Professional Development Series, I just wanted to take a moment to talk about how you feel this is all gone. Wow. I'm so lucky that we have such an incredible network of colleagues in Maryland who will take my phone calls <laughs> when I say, hey, I have this idea. It's a lot of work. Can you help me? <laughs> <laughs> so um, the idea sure came to me like, oh, yeah, we need to create a professional learning series that is responsive to teachers. I know how healing arts can be. And for me, when uncertain times come, my go-to is, oh, great, more creative practice. Okay, great. How can I incorporate more into my routine? But how can we make space for teachers who are already overwhelmed, right, to really kind of set appointments and artist dates with themselves? How can we encourage that? So that was where my mind went. But then I connected with all oh, with you and Quanice at Ames and Lillian Jacobson in my office. And we called Michael Bell in Queen Anne's County and Nicoletta from MCA. And I said, hey, you know, what do you guys think about this idea? And I'm sure there had to be have been a thought of like, that sounds like a lot 
lot of work. No one hesitated. Everyone was like, okay, great. Let's brainstorm how this could work. You know, the collaboration that we have in Maryland allows us to do big things together. So Embrace started, we, I think, anticipated maybe we'd do like, you know, three weeks or so of workshops and people have just shown up in such full force and given us such strong feedback around the ways that it is just giving them everything we hope that a creative practice that's a routine would give a person, which is comfort, uh, ideas for teaching, a chance to explore and to delve into your own ideas. It's just given us so much in these last, I think it's been eight weeks and we're slowing down and taking a bit of a break in a couple weeks and then we'll be back. We'll be back in July to continue this, but we're here. I think it speaks to how responsive the arts education organizations are and how collaborative then the four of us can be together is I think what makes also the gift of Embrace feel so powerful because there's so much really love wrapped around it. There really is. I wasn't able to go to every session, but every single one that I did go to was such a powerful experience for me personally and so powerful to see how much the educators responded. Yes. Everything from restorative movement, Dana's, where so many educators in the chat were just so grateful for a chance to spend that kind of structured time. As educators, it's important to replenish the wellspring of artistic practice. And as artists, it's important to replenish the wellspring of our physical body. (laughs) You know, uh, every aspect of care needs to be taken right now as we continue to combat a pandemic that we're no further along with than we were eight weeks ago in a way. Uh, So it's really amazing to see teachers have really lit up at the chances to do and engage in so many of these things. Nan Park's on contemplative making was so powerful. The kinds of artwork that she was creating and her process in doing it was really so inspiring. And mostly this is all coming around to that in engaging with this through Ames's partnership with MSDE on this project, I'm so grateful to have been introduced to so many interesting artists and so many interesting people and so many stories and hearing how the arts have affected each of these artists' lives. And then also the effect it's having on their communities and the kids in their lives. You know, the work of Embrace is so important because educators themselves are first responders. And so secondary trauma is so real. Mm-hmm. And arts educators are first responders and second responders because artists show up, you know, after all the first responders roll out of town, then the artists show up and help communities to heal. So arts educators have that double burden. And so it's so important that we take care of ourselves. And I think the best way we know how to do that is through coming together. At least that's the only way I know how to do it. I only know how to take care of myself in community with other people. Mm-hmm. And I only know how to take care of myself by continuing to um, reflect and spend time developing ideas and practices that are meaningful to me. But I'm also interested in learning new ways. So like Nan Park's work, you know, she presented something that for her is sustaining in this time. That work is continuing. I don't know if you guys follow her, but you should on social media. We're excited about it and excited to share what we have to share over the next couple of weeks before we take this hiatus. We're sharing our Arts Together report, which was a collaborative document that was created by the amazing network of Maryland's fine arts supervisors. We have 24 local school systems here and just the collaboration and ability to work at such a high level in the middle of a pandemic 
I think is beyond commendation. And they have put together two reports. One will be available shortly around social emotional learning. And the other is uh, planning guidance for arts educators and all five arts disciplines in the age of COVID and recovery. And again, we use the creative process. When you read those documents, you'll see there's a creative process map inside. It'll show you how we use the creative process to work together. So creativity is all around us. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Alicia. And I'm sure I will see you on a call sometime tomorrow or, or you know, we are in <laughs> constant contact. <laughs> it's so good to get to know you a little better and a little deeper. And I can't wait to hear you sing and practice your own crafts uh, beyond the conducting of Maryland's Fine Arts Education Force. Thank you so much. Thank you, Peter, for your time. And thanks for supporting this series in this very robust way. Your interviews have been a revelation each week. And so um, we've come to look forward to them. So thank you as well. Thank you for listening to the Embrace podcast. For more information on arts education in Maryland schools, visit aems-edu.org. To learn more about the Embrace series and how to register for a session, go to msdefinearts.org. Stay safe and stay creative.